It's Sunday, or whatever time it is local to you, and you're listening to The Bookworm on FabRadioInternational.com, brought to you in association with Starburst Magazine. I'm your host, Ed Fortune, and I'm here with... Nympha Hayes. So, on today's show, I'm talking about Star Wars. Yay! Because the hype has okay. the hype has begun and the force has awakened, and we will be dealing with the aftermath. Yes, uh, I got my grubby hands on a couple of Star Wars aftermath, so I can talk about that. I'm uh, not jealous. I'm not. Uh, I'll be reviewing the Iron Trial, which it sorry the Iron Trial, which is the first book in the Magisterium series by Holly Black and Cassandra Clare. Very exciting. But coming up next, book news. Short ones. Across the world. 24 hours a day. So, Portobello Books have acquired a chilling gothic story collection. Um, it's called The Things We Lost in the Fire, which is a collection of gothic short stories. Uh, it was auctioned, obviously, because that's how these things do when you get to a certain level. Um, it sounds rather cracking. Um, it's got... Uh, I, let me get this right. Enriquez um, is the, 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 the writer. Um, a chap called Mariana... Sorry, a lady called Mariana Enriquez. Um, who has written some dazzling, dazzling new works, apparently. Uh, it's very, very exciting, and apparently will appeal to the international market. From the sounds of it, it's in Spanish and in English, um, which is very nice indeed. I can read both! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, so, uh, the book we're on the show that can't pronounce the word book, but can read... Uh, Spanish, Italian, several others. Several Woo-hoo. others. Um, it's not many Welsh works of literature. Anyway, um, <laughs> apart from the Mybion, I'm getting stared at by producer Al. Obviously, the Mybion is lovely and should be read in the original Welsh. You should learn Welsh just to read the Mybion. As she stopped staring at me, it's so hard now. No, no. Carry on, dear. Carry on. My, the rest of my hour. Um, ah, okay. Getting on to all sorts of nonsense. Um, <laughs> Kathy Settle, who is the chief executive of the Leadership for Libraries Task Force, has said that we need to break the negative narrative around the discussion of libraries. Oh, what? What? What we, what we need to do is stop closing down libraries. Well, yes. <laughs> it's not. But uh, can, we, can we stop using nonsense words like not negative narrative? For the, ah! <laughs> this has all come up with. Producer oh. Al is not impressed. This has all come up with a conversation from the 2015 Spending Review where essentially they're closing libraries and they're trying to find excuses for closing libraries. Essentially, if you support... The library like near my house is now a book cart that's open once every alternative Tuesday. I'm not kidding. Yeah, the, we, our local um, library is now run by the community uh, and opens twice a week. Um, but it has, like, really... It had some really good... Um, activities for like young ones, older ones, everyone had a good selection of books and toys for the little ones, and it's just such a shame. I was at I was at a thing a, a while ago about 
it's almost 18 months ago, maybe two years ago now, where I was talking to some terrifyingly bright-eyed young civil servant idiot um, who was who was telling me that libraries weren't used by the community, the way that they, you know, and all this. He was ta- talking absolute nonsense, and then he made the mistake of are, are we using the libraries in the wrong way? We're we not using them like they'd like us to. Are, well, they, are, they, are we not spending money somehow? He made the classic mistake of turning around to the, this this throng of people and saying, uh, and these the, the, these people were mostly the social circle, were mostly young parents and um, book industry types, and he was like, well, who among you have a library card? And suddenly, uh, like a chorus of hands just went around, like it's in my wallet, it's here. Mm-hmm. Which one do you want? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's complete nonsense. We we need libraries. It's a mark of civilization. They are essentially literature literature based community centres. They do astonishingly useful things for the community. Yes, they educate people, and that would maybe give people ideas. And we can't have that, can we? No, no. Sorry, I'm slightly angry right now, mm-hmm. just for a whole variety of reasons. But uh, a little bit of politics, uh, just to get more angry uh, or less angry depending on your perspective bookshop appeals for Calais, uh, Calais camp donations the big green bookshop is running a huge uh, book run essentially uh, for the refugees in Calais and uh, donations have gone through the roof uh, since since the 4th of September um, the, the bookshop is based in London's Wood Green um, and is basically looking for uh, books for Books that will help people. They want basically um, sort of dictionaries from um, languages that are obviously from refugee languages too, um, English. They're looking for school books to start, like to keep children and also the people, um, you know, sharp and trying to teach them um, a little bit of English so that they can muddle through whilst this this horrible times are are going. Ahead and and just like short narratives and short poems, literally, it, it's just to show that actually, as you said, books and education keep us civilized and they keep us going and they mean so much to people. It, it's one of those things where you know, if, if I go through my bookshelves, I will find a small pile of computer manuals and computer books that are still relevant. Mm. I just don't need them because I've you know I've read them, I've used them, I've got better books now. And they're either going to go in the bin or to a appropriate charity, and it's gold for someone who's trying to get into something else, yeah. Especially trying to get into the country itself. Um, so yes, um, and <laughs> Penguin marks her eighth birthday with Shoreditch Pop-Up Shop. Uh, this sounds so random. Eighth but birthday, eightieth birthday, eightieth birthday. Yeah, enunciate, radio. Is it? Oh my goodness, I just thought I was trapped in a room and had to talk until they let me out in an hour's time. You'll um, never get out. <laughs> I'm not allowed just to give leave. up. Um, so, the, the, this pop-up shop has, sells books. Apparently it will also sell you merchandise based on books. <gasps> oh it's my this, god. There's Jane Austen Moss <gasps> oh and Sherlock Holmes renowned books. Okay, to be fair, that is quite exciting. I know, right? I was, I was being slightly dismissive and hipsterish about the whole, oh, it's in Shoreditch, is it? Oh, really? Oh, you surprised me. <laughs> a Virginia Woolf tote bag, because you need a tote bag. A tote bag of one's own. I have a Cthulhu tote bag. Oh, does it does it eat everything that you put no, into it? No, it loves me. It says Cthulhu loves you. Because the, the lovely lady gave it to me at Mangstercom because I was looking at it with heart-shaped eyes. And she went, here, you can have it. And I'm like, oh, Cthulhu really loves me. Um, Ninfa? Yes. Cthulhu... <laughs> Loves you. Yeah, yeah. 
have, have, have you read the Dunwich Horror? No, Maybe not at you all. should. Shh. It's all good. It's all good. Cthulhu loves you too. I, he really better not. On <laughs> it will hug you and eat your face. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yes, uh, they're, they're having the 80th birthday thing. They're doing a pop-up shop because why wouldn't you? Um, it'll be running throughout September. Um, it'll close before you know it. And it's full of books because it's a bookshop. And it's also full of book-related tat. Um, do we have any more, more book news? Have we run out of the book news? I don't know. You have the book news. I don't. Have you seen that thing? Um, judging books by its cover? Oh. oh, yeah, yeah. Have you seen that? For those of you who don't know, a couple of chaps have put together like a little test um, whereas they've, they've, um, they've collected, uh, I think resources came from mostly Goodreads um, covers and have asked people to go and rate the books by the cover. So, I mean, we all love judging. We, we, we're all judgmental people at heart so you know looking at books and, and judging them by what you see as opposed to you know just the content obviously that there was a little disclaimer saying oh we appreciate some of these books are so popular that it's likely you've read a, a certain amount of them uh, and we're not accounting for that but it's still quite an interesting an interesting comparison between obviously the ratings on Goodreads and what the ratings were just based on the appearance of the book. So yeah, that's... that's We're putting a link to that on our Facebook page as we speak. That's because producer art is awesomely efficient. I get very annoyed at um, book covers that look samey and it's like, oh, is it it a young adult horror novel? (laughs) Does it have have a single guy walking away on the cover? Um, Normally we'll have um, either something, so it'll be an apple, it'll be a heart, it will be, you know, if if it looks like Twilight, then then that's what it is. <laughs> is is basically where we're going. Um, I do like looking at covers before I even look at what the book is about. I have to say, I, I do love that story about the the nineties vampire the masquerade book. Where originally the the cover art was a picture of a vampire going ah, mm. um, and then they were like, um, it looks a bit rubbish actually, and they were like running towards print deadline, and literally someone just threw a, threw a rose on a piece of marble, took a photo of it, and went right, there that'll do, uh, and it's like this iconic cover of the nineties, and mm-hmm. it inspired a whole lot of young adult books. It was whether the the you know the apple or the heart, yeah, yep, the, the rose, the the whatever. whatever. Just that sort of that sort of cliche now. Uh, you're, you're looking at the magisterium. I am looking at the magisterium cover, thinking um, actually it's pretty cool. No, it's it's two cliches wrapped into one. It's Let's an item. Yeah, and and people and doing things. Shot. It's basically um, it's it's Percy Jackson. It's it's what it is, but it's pretty. It's really pretty. Show me, show me, show me. I like the um, oh oh that yeah it is Percy Jackson is it? It? yeah <laughs> there, there's an element because young adult adventure nowadays it's it's sort of like that that kind of stereotype but actually Magisterium is really pretty um, and and although my well, eye it does at least look like there's a girl in it in a fairly prominent role so there is a girl yeah. and there's there's Which several like. goals actually Star Wars aftermath the cover which are it's, very it's the Harry it's Potter cliche isn't yeah. it two boys yeah, and a girl it is, nowadays it is. yeah yeah but it works Star Wars aftermath which is the big I'm reviewing in just a moment just has the Death Star blowing up and it's just <laughs> like you know what that's all you need uh, <laughs> 
the, the cover that I really, really rate actually is the Rivers of London, Benovanovich. Oh, the, the UK like cover. cover. Yeah, that's a really pretty. The cool. American cover, not so much because the American cover is a bit. I haven't seen I it. See, I, this is a discussion to have at the end of the show, but I don't understand why they change book covers. Different yeah, one. no. In fact, let's, let's talk, about, talk about, about that at the, at the end. end. Yeah, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll be talking about why, why, why. Why? That's just general Delilah. <laughs> Shall we move on? So, mo- moving on. Ed, you're, you're talking about Star Wars. Coming up next, Aftermath. Across the world, the real alternative, FabRadioInternational.com. This is the King of Armbars and Zack Jr. My name is Kevin Sleen. Hey, what's up? This is Matt Stryker. It's the psycho shooter himself, Drake Younger. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Adam Cole, and you're listening to The Sunday Falsies. The Sunday Falsies is your weekly dose of pro wrestling from the UK and all over the world. Join Craig and Gas every Sunday, 3 till 5, right here on Fab Radio. Enjoy and we'll see you front row. Whether you're an acoustic virtuoso or a rock god, Fab Music Store. At Fab, we buy and sell new and used kit with guitar brands like Faith, Breed Love, Lag and Westfield and Dynacord and Electro Voice sound systems. We hire sound systems from £60 and have guitars for sale from $39.99. With ukuleles, banjos and all the lights, leads, stands and mixers you can imagine. For sales, hire and service, Fab Music Store. Little Underbank, Stockport. Visit fabmusicstore.co.uk. Geeks, assemble. Coming out of hyperspace, Saturday the 12th of September, 2015. It's Blackpool Comic Con at the stunning Winter Gardens Blackpool. Meet and get autographs and professional photo shoots with international stars from Star Wars, Game of Thrones, Harry Potter, Thunderbirds, Supernatural, Robocop, and more. Relive the golden age of wrestling with legends Mick Foley, Kevin Nash, Al Snow, and Chavo Guerrero Jr. The comic strip area respects the book with international guests from Marvel, DC, and Dark Horse, plus UK Indies. Blackpool Comic Con is a totally interactive experience with Q&As, a live makeup recreation by Sean Harrison, the art of film, props, Titan the Robot Show, sword fighting class with Miltos Yorlamo, and famous vehicles. Costopia will be our haven for cosplayers with international stars Kristen Huey, Hikari Cat, and Tabitha Lyons appearing as well as our competition for attendees and early entrance. Don't delay. Become a commenter today and head to the website blackpoolcomicon.com to book and follow us on Facebook and Twitter for daily announcements. See you in September. The Gay Agenda on Fab Radio International. All the offbeat chat and debate you'd expect from militant liberal gay warriors. Mm. UKIP donor has said that gay people are incapable of love. Is that so? You know what to say about homophobes. Well, yes, they're all closeted. The Gay Agenda, 9pm till 11pm every Thursday on FabRadioInternational.com. I've been struck by lightning and electrocuted. 
So third time will be the charm, right? Third time I'll get my electric it's powers. It's struck by lightning. Yeah. Where? Where? When and where? On my head. That way so weird. <laughs> <laughs> Listen again on Mixcloud.com forward slash Gay Agenda Radio. Starburst Magazine. Starburst Magazine. The world's longest running magazine of sci-fi horror and fantasy. Get the latest news, features, interviews and reviews from your favourite genre. Available from a newsagent near you or download to your iPad today. So, picture the scene, if you will. You have a major... You, you have... You, you're Disney. You have... <laughs> Yay, I'm Disney! Uh, you have bought the Star Wars license. Yay, I bought at, the Star Wars license! You look at the complete pile of books that have been produced over the last, well, almost 40 years. Uh, not quite almost 40 years, don't write in. Yes, we know about the Spinners of the Mind Eye, thank you very much. We, we know the story of Star Wars tie-ins, thank you. I'm using a hyperbole. Mm-hmm. Um, but okay, so you've you've got this entire back catalogue of books. You now own the license. The first thing you do is you look at all those books and go, nah, no, sorry, no, next, and confine every single one of those stories, not to the dustbin, but to a thing that you call legends, which is essentially a dustbin that's been painted gold. And I was going to say fanfic, but hey. Yeah, the fabric's not a dustbin thing, but you know, yes. But the, the, uh, no, I, I wasn't going to say dustbin. I was going to say, well, d- fanfic. These <laughs> are stories that you to- that we told. They were fun at the time, but these are not the stories that we want to continue to tell because we want to tell new stories. Mm-hmm. So we will we'll hit the reset button, and all these new stories from this date onwards are now the the new canon. Mm-hmm. So uh, don't get me started on canon, but anyway. <laughs> so you've got a whole bunch of books that had already been sort of commissioned that you can just modify to fit in with the story that you're telling. And we've talked about some of those books in the show. Yeah. Uh, also, however, you're commissioning new books. And the one that you really want to commission is the one that tap, that is set just after Jedi. Mm-hmm. And kind of as a build-up to your new Star Wars movie, The Force Awakens. So what you want to know is the end of end of Return of the Jedi, you know the Death Star exploded. Yep. Ewoks were dancing. Yep. What happens next? Luke and Leia were hugging. Well, that's not in Star Wars aftermath. Boo. I doubt you'll find that anywhere except fan fiction. However, what is in Star Wars math aftermath is the aftermath. Short version. Uh, so the what happens next? What happens next? And it's literally the next few weeks. So there's there's a wonderful Chuck, Chuck Wendig is well known for his um, dark and sardonic style. Uh, he wrote the Moon Black stories. He's very he's very good at being dark. He's also very good at being commercial. He knows the needs of the market extremely well, but he's got a kind of a, a sarcastic tone, mm. and he's got a cynical tone that really does fit. Now you're sitting there going, Star Wars and cynicism? Surely not. No, no. Actually, this does work because what you want is you want that element of kind of Darth Vader-esque terror mm. and you also want kind of happy cheerful adventure at the same time mm-hmm. but this is a post-war story this is about the end of a civil war and the start of perhaps something else mm. so you want that kind of that mix of those two two elements 
Wendig does a really, really good job. And he's like a charm that's been let loose in the sweet shop of Star Wars. <laughs> and it's clear that someone in licensing has turned around and went, right, here are the things that you can use so you can make this book amazing because this book's going to be our flagship book going forward. People buying this book will want to know what's going on because they want hints as to what's happening with Star Wars. Mm -hmm. They want to know what's going to happen next with Star Wars Aftermath. Short version, you won't be disappointed. It's really good. Wendig has brought in his A-game. He's worked really well. Um, Star Wars, the Disney, Disney licensing people have sat down and gone, right, okay, let's give the fans almost everything that they want Let's let Wendig tell a story, but let's also let Wendig give us insights as to what's going on. So one of the best bits about the book, and I'll get to the plot in a minute, but this is exciting as well. This is jam. Uh, are the interludes. Interludes include two people bickering over a suit of armour that's been pulled out of a Sarlacc pit. <gasps> a smuggler and his fuzzy companion <laughs> deciding to go off mission. To do something very, very good for the good of the galaxy. Actually, it's a hilarious scene that involves in my in my head a false moustache and, and a fake eyepiece, <laughs> um, but it's brilliantly done. Someone bargaining for Darth Vader's lightsaber. <gasps> no, that belongs to his children. And so on. We get all these little insights and all these little things going on. The, the, the book actually opens with. Them attaching huge tra- chains to a statue of the Empire, Empire yeah, and pulling, and it, pulling down. it down, yeah. and then and then the police forces turning up to stop them, and rocks being thrown. <gasps> so that's where we start. Mm, rebellion still. And someone also talking talking about Ewoks and describing them as horrid little rat bears, which are yeah. really <laughs> excellent description. Right, the story itself is um, there is this planet. Uh, it's on the outer rim. It's surprisingly not Tatooine. Uh, no one really goes there. It's kind of like a Casablanca-esque world. I can't believe it's not Tatooine. It's not Tatooine. I can't believe it's not Tatooine. <laughs> Can you? Uh, there's a new brand of butter. Uh, so there, there is this world. It's 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 kind of you know off the books. All the uh, Imperial commanders, so all the moffs and grand moffs, mm. have turned up to have a meeting so they can work out what to do next. Run. <laughs> Run, basically, to, to, to consolidate their power base. This would have been fine if it wasn't for the fact that Wedge, Wedge Antilles hmm. stumbles on it by accident and goes, oh, hey, look, lots of bad guys. Oh, I've been captured. <laughs> it's never an accident, it's the force. Meanwhile, we've got a whole pile of family members uh, and other random people who've just turned up on this planet. I have to escape or to you know finish their stories. Just as their story, so we've got a, a fighter pilot who was actually there when the Death Star exploded. Was actually one of the pilots that flew into the Death Star to blow it up in the second movie. Um, she is looking for her son, who she's basically abandoned for a few years, so she can fight the rebellion. Her son's gone off to become a sort of a junior crime boss. He's got this marvelous, marvelous robot called Mister Bones, which is this horrible, horrible battle droid that he uses to surprise people. <laughs> We've got an old, we've got an old imperial, well, not so much old. We've got an imperial officer, imperial loyalty officer, yeah. who's just sinking the drinks away because he doesn't want to think about what he's done. Just wants to, you know, maybe change his life. Um, 
and we've also got a bounty hunter. So what you've got is this fantastic party of adventurers who get caught in to a whole load of imperial machinations and can change the fate of the galaxy. Is it any good? Gosh, yes. Is it fun? <laughs> Gosh, yes. Would you devour it in a, one or two sittings? Yeah. Uh, it's Star Wars. There's some There's some wonderful, wonderful little bits. Uh, if you know who Fulcrum is, then you will make a little squeeing sound. If you know what Kashyyyk is, you will make a little squeeing sound. Um, if you care about, you know, the diversity of the Star Wars universe, you'll make a little squeeing sound. Um, it is very, very, very well done. Um, as you'd kind of expect at this stage, because Disney, You've are, not, got Disney You've got are not messing around. They, they grab Chuck Wendig. He is very, very good. He's exactly the right sort of person because he's at that level where he's never go- he's not going to become Stephen King. But on the other hand, he's really good at what he does. Mm-hmm. You know, he's never going to become this mega store writer so they can continue to get him to write stuff for them for a number of years. You know, they can get a bunch of stuff out of him. But he's really, really good. He should actually be much bigger than he is. They've picked the right guy for the right job. Awesome. Um, and I'd be fascinated. If, I mean, several of you listening to the show will have, uh, will have read the book by now, and I would be fascinated to know if you agree. And you can contact us on at Radio Bookworm via t- Twitter. Radio Bookworm, you just type it into Facebook, you can find us there, forward slash Radio Bookworm, or Radio Bookworm on Tumblr, because of course we're on Tumblr. And you can also find us on Mixcloud, on the iTunes, and of course via the Starburst Magazine website. It's Stores after- Aftermath, it's by Chuck Wendig. It's awesome. It's being produced by Delray. You can find it at easy. Oh, and uh, coming up next, we get to talk uh, about The Dark of Eden, uh, written by Chris Beckett, which is out now. So uh, there are now two Eden books out there. One is uh, Dark Eden, which is the first one. And, um, and when I wrote it originally, I, I uh, thought of it as a standalone story. Um, but uh, I had some ideas knocking around for a second book, so uh, I embarked on a second one. And uh, I'm now, well, actually literally this week, just uh, completing um, uh, a third one, which is going to be the final uh, one in the series. So uh, that's that's quite a lot of stuff about Eden I've, I've put together now. Um, I'm just mentally thinking, uh, adding it up, and it's well over getting no, we're getting on for a third of a million words, you know. So <laughs> I think that's probably that's probably it for the moment. What do you want me to tell you about it? So yes, can you tell us more? Um, I, I, I kind of, I could tell you, I could tell you influences that that that, um, that that have certainly helped to shape my Eden world. I'm not sure it's it's for me to, to say what its place is in science fiction. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really be able to say. It's a, um, it's my own take. Um, 
drawing on various more or less I was going to say random influences, not random ones, but you know, the ones I happen to come across. Um, uh, sorry, what's the second part of your question, Ed? I've forgotten that. <laughs> so it, it, it's, it's a very dark um, and, and very socially impactful book. Uh, what else can you tell us? For me personally, where does it come from? Yeah, okay. So, uh, um, uh, I think at the core of the world of Eden, and, and probably this is most strongly visible in the the original book of us, but it, it will pervade all three books, is the a kind of um, a kind of existential state of, of human beings that, that that we always live have to live with a kind of sense of loss, you know, a kind of something that's feeling that something's slightly missing from from the world, and I think the original. Um, story of the expulsion from Eden uh, is a kind of mythical way of talking about that and uh, and of course in my Eden novel I've turned that on its head because the characters in the Eden novel are actually um, in a way um, exiled to a place called Eden rather than from a place called Eden but uh, apart from that they're, they're, they're aware of themselves as being exiled in a place that's dark it has no sun and they're aware that once there was a place with a sun and light where people, their ancestors used to live, and which they would feel they would like to get back to, but they know they won't, and they have to make a go of that. And, and, and uh, so the background of it all is that sense of how people make a go of the fact that life, um, well, life isn't perfect, I suppose, <laughs> what it's down to. Um, and I think that's that's the mood that pervades it all. Um, yeah, ask me another question about that. <laughs> What is it about speculative fiction that marks it as distinct and different from other sorts of science fiction? And what is it about your particular work that mm. stands out? Mm. Mm. Um. Well, I, I think, um, not flipping on its head, um, I think it's certainly true that the people in Eden have a rosy view of the past. They have an, uh, they, they've, they've come to, in fact, as the three um, books develop, they've increasingly come to think of Earth as like somewhere perfect and wonderful. Um, in, in the first book, they do have some memories of um, things not being all that great on Earth either. But, the, but, um, but I suppose... I do think people tend to, I think we do tend to be nostalgic for the past, and that's a very human thing, and we long for a better future as well, that's another human thing, you know, we, we, we may not think it's going to be great in the future, but we want it to be, and, we, and we're thinking all the time about some future when things are going to be better, I mean in our own lives, uh, but you know, also in uh, at a sort of social level as well, and um, I think uh, that I think that that's interesting. That way that we have this sense that in the present things aren't quite how we want them, or maybe not at all how we want them. But, but some rosy time in the past they were better, and sometime in the future they'll be better. And I, so I think I'm thinking about that. I, in fact, I wondered whether that's a kind of biological thing. Actually, that you know, nature wants us to be a bit hungry and a bit um, a bit un, um, 
unsatisfied and, and it, it wants us to have in our minds something to aim for all the time so that we keep going and we keep doing stuff and we keep, you know, struggling, you know. Um, but Your background is mostly in... Uh, semi-dystopia. Well, I think there's another reason for semi-dystopias. Um, by the way, I don't think Dark Eden is a dystopia, but you can ask me about that later if you want. But uh, I think in, in, in some ways it is actually a utopia, but uh, we can we can come back to that if you want to. Um, dystopias, um, uh, I think one reason, rather, mon rather mundane reason why there's a lot of dy dystopias in science fiction is they're much more interesting to tell stories about than utopias. Um, you actually can't really do much with it with a perfect world in terms of stories. You can do an awful lot with it, with a with a very flawed and imperfect world, um, you know, because bad things happen there, and people forgot to struggle, and there are bad people that have to be defeated, etc., etc., etc. So dystopias are much better for stories. Um, I think that's one reason. Um, but, I, but I suppose also, you know, um, with lots of people are aware of bad things that are likely to happen in the future and, and wish to caution the world about them, I suppose. Um, what real world influences and what real world things did you draw upon uh, as inspiration for this work what inspired you to, to make this book what it is well when I say it's, it's not it's neither in a utopia in reality it's a society just like the one we live in which has got good points and bad points that's, that's the actual you know if you look at it in a totally rational way that's the truth and if you look at the the community at the beginning of Dark Eden, it has, a num although, it, it, you know, in some ways it's quite a bleak society, you know, that people have, have, they have very little in the way of possessions, they have very little in the way of technology, they have lots of, you know, health problems and genetic deformities and so forth, so that's all pretty bad, but actually as a society, it's not too bad at all. At the beginning of Dark Eden, no one has ever committed murder in Eden, not even once. Um, everyone has a similar standard of living. Um, Women uh, are at least as powerful as men. Um, sexual violence is unknown. You know, I could go on. I mean, it's actually quite, in many respects, quite a nice society. You know, um, people people often describe it as a dystopia, but if you think about it in lots of ways, it's, super, it's a superior society to our own. But um, of course, by the end of Dark Eden, it's become more complicated. There has been violence and, and murder, or death anyway. Um, and it's things that move and change. And I suppose people are thinking that's the dystopian aspect, I suppose, but that's only the bit that brings it similar to our own world. It doesn't, I don't think it's become worse than our own world in, in, in terms of society. It's, it is much more bleak in terms of, um, um, in many respects, bleaker than our own uh, world. Well, for those people like you and me who live in a, in a wealthy country anyway, uh, bleaker. Yeah. Uh, is modern science fiction yes. as diverse as we'd like to think it is? Or do we still have a long way to go when it comes to that sort yes. of thing? Um, um, yeah, I mean, by the way, Eden did, uh, you know, it did originate from short stories. But yes, um, uh, um, I, love, I love writing short stories. I haven't actually written any. Uh, science fiction short stories for, for a while actually for some reason but uh, there's something about a short story that it can be you can aspire to make a story almost perfect I think you know because it's small and contained and um, 
it's like a, a song or a poem or something, or a painting. You can you can aspire to make it almost perfect. A novel is, by definition, a big rambling thing, and I, I've never read a novel that, that that felt perfect in that same way. And that's something that's rather nice about writing short stories. Um, in terms of the writing process, uh, as I've as I've said before, um, people short stories in a way are, uh, are easier because you don't have to hold ideas in your mind for a long time, you don't have to show change over a long period of time, which is ch technically difficult to do, I think. Um, but uh, on the other hand, if I was to write 100,000 words of short story, 5,000 word short stories, that would require me to come up with many, many more ideas than would be the case if I was going to write a 100,000 word novel. So in a way, short stories they're more concentrated, they're more, they're, they're kind of richer, and that, you know, word for word, you have to come up with more ideas, so um, they're diff different in that way. I mean, I, I've, you know, I've written whole novels in, you know, in, a, in, in a less than a year, but I mean, I've never written more than three short stories or four short stories in a year, so even though the short stories would only come, together might come to, to what, um, 30,000 words, you know. You know, the full short stories, you know, so they're a very, very different process, but I, I like them both very much. What next? What's next? What well, else? Well, it's mind? interesting you ask me that. Um, I, I'm just, as I say, I'm just wrapping up uh, the, the, this third Eden novel. Um, I think I'll be sending that off probably tomorrow to the publishers. Um, and uh, I have got a couple of ideas for novels. Um, one of them that's going to be that's kind of a near future novel. Um, deals with the, the kind of um, living in a, a world where, you know, global warming has got very bad, you know, and, um, but I, I, I'm, I, I, that's an idea, I've got some ideas for that, some characters, um, I've got a sort of outline of a kind of plot, but that's still very much on the back burner at the moment, but I think I might take a little bit of a pause and write some short stories for a little while um, before I plunge back into writing another novel, that's my thinking at the moment. Uh, some silly questions to finish off. Um, if you had one book to to uh, keep for the end of time, what book would that be? Well, I, I don't think I could write a story set in someone else's world. I mean, of course, I'm influenced by other people's worlds all the time, and uh, um, you, you know, I could point to stories and say that story was definitely, um, to some extent, influenced by this world or that world. But I don't think I could. I don't think I could take someone else's. One of those, you know, it's what you were talking about. One of those kind of shared world kind of things. I don't think I, don't think that would work very well for me. I think I need. It's it's like with Eden that the world is the world isn't just the setting for the story. It is part of the story, and it, in a way, it's, it's almost, that's one of the things about science fiction. The world is kind of one of the most important. Well, I've heard it said that in a science fiction. Um, story, the world is actually one of the characters, um, and I think that's quite an interesting uh, truth, uh, you know, that you, you can't really, you, you, I think it's difficult to imagine writing a story where you can't make up, a science fiction story where you can't also make up the world. Is it Alan Book? I know a lot of people do though, so it's, it's only me. <laughs> and your Desert Alan Book? That 
sorry, the, the, oh, I didn't hear that last bit. The two worst visions to survive until what? Sorry. Uh, well, two books to survive until the end of all time. Um, well, if it was my own work, um, funny enough, I might save uh, my short, my first short story collection. Actually, I think possibly that might be the the, the most polished piece of work I've done, and, and when it's most varied as well. So that might be the one, the Turing test. I'm not sure. I might pick something else another day. As for somebody else's, good God, that's an incredibly difficult question. Um, oh, um, uh, I, uh, I'm really struggling to think of an answer for that. Um, it might be, I'm going to say, I'm just going to say a novel which I like very much, I'm not sure it's... The only one to be saved is a novel called The Unconsoled by Kazuo Ishikura. So, quick fire round. Yeah, Simpsons course. or Futurama? Uh, well, even that's quite a difficult question, but I'm going to say Simpsons. <laughs> Sunlight or Shadow? Sunlight. And finally, truth or beauty? Well, these are hard questions. You say they're just silly questions. They're really hard. <laughs> um, I'm going to say truth. Chris Beckett, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much, Ed. This is Fab Radio International. Uh, that was our interview with Chris Beckett. You can find out more about his works on online by going on to his blog, which is Chris Beckett. I believe it's chris-beckett.com. Uh, Doc of Eden is out now. Uh, the rest of his books are also worth a check out. Um, and yes, Ninfa, you have a book. I have a book. I have a book. Um, so today I'm looking at The Iron Trial. Um, that's the first book in the Magisterium series by Holly Black and Cassandra Crack. Claire, um, we you did have an interview with um, Holly Black and Cassandra Carla, didn't you? Exactly when they were touring for this first book, uh, about um, almost about a year ago. Now, I know um, the second book of this series is also just come out this month, um, and I was around in Waterstones yesterday and I saw it and I was like, mm, grab your hands. So that'll be going on my Christmas list. I believe I, I, I completely adore Dark Spot of the Forest. Mm-hmm. It's the one about the elf boy in the coffin. Oh, no, I haven't read that one. I'll have to throw it at you. Yes, you throw it just gently, though, because I don't want it on my head. Um, but, yes, um, being a big sort of Percy Jackson and Harry Potter fan, I'm quite quite um, keen on, on young adult adventure books as opposed to just the you know usual romance ones. Um, um, so when I um, when I saw the Iron Trial, it was like, mm, yeah, I need I need to read this very quickly. Obviously, it's it's a it's um, um, good publicity. The fact that both authors are so amazing, um, so I knew I was in for a good for a good ride. Now, um, very shortly, um, what what's what's the Iron Trial about? Um, Callum Hunt is is a young boy um, who's lived. Uh, most of his life's just with his dad, uh, and his dad is a bit weird. And the, the, it's not a spoiler if I tell you the dad is really weird because Callum's mum died 
when he was like a baby uh, and she was murdered by by um by bad magicians and and Callum's dad was a magician and has sort of turned his back onto the whole thing um and for the, for his whole life Callum's been told magic is bad stay away from magicians they will ruin your life you will die it will all be horrible so he's been indoctrinated to to, to sort of like be wary and, and 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 distrustful and and all of that when you say bad magicians I'm assuming that they're not the kind that, you know, they say pick a card and then they drop them on. No. Or, so what, no. what is the magic like? Um, basically, it's it's really interesting the way they've done it. Basically, what they say is, you remember alchemist of old, you know, a few centuries ago, um, people were really keen on experimenting. Well, actually, a bunch of them did find that that there is magic in the world. And what they did is they instituted a school... Uh, to pass down their findings and obviously keep researching. So somewhere in the world, hidden, there is a school called the Magisterium where young um, young people, uh, because they've discovered that obviously that there is a certain age where magic is more accessible for some, um, they are taught how to use it so that it doesn't get out of hand. And there's different ways that you can affect magic through the elements. Um, there are also some ways that are um, more rare, um, like, you know, controlling dark magic, which is not bad magic. It just sort of uses um, a certain side of magic that, that is not as accessible um, and so when Callum who has magic is invited for the iron trials he knows he has to fail uh, and his father is very clear on the fact that should he succeed he will be taken to this horrible place which is the magisterium where evil people will teach him to be evil basically um, even though his father you know, was a student at some point he's absolutely bent on on preventing Callum to getting into the school. And so Callum goes to the Iron Trials. He performs spectacularly bad, but guess what? He gets in. He still gets in. Damn those scholarship kids. I know. Um, so um, that that's sort of the premise of the story. And then obviously there's the whole adventure of Callum getting into school and making friends and not making friends and and being a bit mischievous. Is it good? Is it good? It's very good. And you know why it's very good? Because everything you think you know about tropes in young adults, they flip them on their heads. So you think you know the hero. You think you know where you are. You think you know where the story is going. Guess what? <laughs> you don't. I love that sort of thing. I absolutely adored it. Uh, because... Right until sort of like the last couple. And, and it makes perfect sense as you read it. You read it and you know that there's bits there that are important to the story. You know it. You know, they're there for a reason. And then, and then you get to the end of the book and you're like, oh, you did not do this to me. Oh, you awesome, horrible people. Have you read Francis Harding's Cuckoo Song yet? I haven't. I've got it at home. Do so. Because yeah. that's, that's got one of my favourite turnarounds. 
recent years. Yeah, well, magisterium, the, the Iron Trials, does just that. So it sets you up to believe you know the hero, you know what the story is about, you know where this is all going. There's all of the little tropes in there. You know, the outsider is a bit weird. Nobody likes him. Then he makes a good friend. And then, you know, things start to improve. And there's a whole journey of the hero in that. And then all of a sudden you go, oh, this is not what I expected. Oh, this is so good. So I think, actually, there is a conversation in this version of the book. Um, the, there's a short interview with the authors where they say just that, that they basically set out to write a story that would subvert some of the tropes in in, in, in narrative and specifically young adult uh, adventure narrative. It's very well done. It's very entertaining. You'll read it in like an afternoon. You'll sit down. You'll just read it. It's dead easy. Uh, if you've got a young person in your life, you know, 9, 10, 11 year old, they'll adore it. It's definitely one to pick up. It's The Iron Trial, um, which is the first book in, Magist in the Magisterium series by Holly Black and Cassandra Clare. And it's published by Corgi. the world 24 hours a day so let's get on with let's get on with that very important job of of judging some books by their covers to see what happens when we do so. Uh, so I've got an absolute pile of books from the, the Book One Book Box. Mm. Um, by the by, if you like, subscribe, share, especially on iTunes, and then you tell us uh, via Twitter or via social media, uh, you never know, we might actually send you a book. Yeah, that would be <laughs> as cool. A um, so we've got a big pile of books here. We do have a big Good pile God. of books, like a huge pile of books. Uh, and let's start judging them by their covers. <laughs> so, oh, I've just picked up something that I'm like. Oh, yeah. is it William C. C. Deet? Now, in fairness, William C. Deet is a good creator of, you know, military sci-fi. He does, you know, that that's he's the boy for military sci-fi. That's sort of his job. Yeah, no, no, it's fine. But we are not judging the books right now. We're judging the covers. And I can tell you that between the final battle. By Force of Arms and For More Than Glory, which are three of the it's books we the have. It's the same cover, people. It's the same cover with, the, with just the the person in, in an armour with the head is slightly tilted in a different way. The head well, is the armor you're getting. Slightly, slightly different, but they're all the same. <laughs> Same cover. I know those are exactly the same cover, aren't they? Uh, the but, but that it means you know what you're getting, doesn't it? If you've, oh, yeah. if you've read this one book, you will like these you other two like because this. it is exactly well, the same. This is the, the same story, the, though. It's the same world. They've it's all... Say, they've changed the, the colour on the spine. Um, but basically, yeah, it's the same. It's almost the same dude. He just changes hats. I mean, it's, it's like the Nicky Heat books by Richard Castle, which I absolutely love. But it's the same book cover. It's a naked woman in silhouettes draped across a prop that is in some way related to the story that's being told within that book. So this is Rebecca Levine's The Hunter's Kind. Um, and this is an ARC cover. Now, sometimes ARC covers, that's advanced reader copies. Sometimes the covers do change. But this is a wolf and a moon. And it's called The Hunter's Kind. So I expect it to have wolves and moons in it. <laughs> it's the whole the hollow 
Gods. Book two of the Hollow Gods, The Hunter's Kind. See that? I would read that just by looking at the cover. Uh, and then I read the back and it says, When I was little, Mum told me stories about the moon. She said he made the monsters in the forest and that's why the hunter had to kill him. We all heard these stories, but we thought that was all they were. So that's, that looks really cool. Um, I've got Tamaruk, which is book three of the Osiris Project. And I look at it and there's like a sort of a, like mm, some sort of dystopian, maybe post-apocalyptic thing with a girl walking towards some skyscrapers on a plane. It's the picture a, of a city. It's the picture of a city and someone looking like they're about to blow it up or yeah. change it or have so a conversation. It, I mean, looking at it, I would say this is either dystopian, post-apocalyptic or both. <laughs> Uh, that didn't come out like bleh. Beauty and the Beast. Some, oh, this is from the TV series. It's a movie tie-in, so it's just a picture of the two actors, so you recognise them. And yeah. go, Hang on, oh, let's, let's have a look which, which particular version it is. Not the fun one, the the, the, the new modern one. It's not It's not the um, the two actors. Oh, it's not Ron Perlman and yeah. uh, and Sarah Connor from the original Terminator movies. Uh, write in if you want to tell me who exactly that is, because uh, I can't remember right now, uh, even though it's my job to. Uh, yeah, it's the the two pretty people from that TV series you're watching, so you'll pick up the book. Mm. Uh, Patricia A. McKillop, The Riddle Masters Game. That looks very pretty. There's a harp, a crown, and a sword. It's I'm a masterwork it's, series. It's fantasy. Yeah, it's so. a masterwork series, so it's got that, that silver cover, and it's got that abstract picture, because you should know what it is, because it's a masterwork, damn it. It's so pretty. I like it. It's fantasy. Very, yeah. very minimalist. Um, um Kiri, Dragon Kiri, Woman. Kiri Johansson, the lady. Uh, actually, quite a good book. Uh, mm. The other half of the thing, the cover, the, the picture on the cover has absolutely nothing to do with the book. Oh. Uh, to, <laughs> to be honest, it's it's got a lady on the cover because it's called the lady, and she's like, you know, she's crackling with magical energy, which is sort of the case. Sort yeah. Of, yeah, okay. So it's a standard else. fantasy cover I would think it looks like it looks like it could be any other fantasy cover let's be honest oh WVU oh she's done quite a lot James R. Tuck Robin Hood Demon Spain Mark of the Black Arrow it's a random model yes that's a male model in a hood looking like Robin Hood basically in a hood with a ball with some stuff at the back just just again it's a standard type of of, um, you know what they're trying to do a thing uh, for the Arrow audience Indeed, he does look a bit. He does have a bit of the Stephen Amell. He does have a tad of Stephen Amell about him. Gwint a bit mm. and stand on one leg. But this is fantasy. But, the, but, that, if, you, but if you look at the way they've posed that, that's exactly how they pose Stephen Amell in the, in the publicity shots for Arrow, the TV yeah. show. Exactly that's how. Totally to get you in there, isn't it? Yeah. Into the Fire by Peter Lyon. Is it a city on fire? It's a city on fire. It's, <laughs> it's post apocalyptic. This is like that everything's happened, everything is dark and horrible. Um, but yeah. Yeah, it, it looks um, it looks fairly standard for what it is. World's economies collapse and governments have gone broke. The entire welfare system's vanished almost overnight. Definitely dystopian, post-apocalyptic. This is a small press book. Martin Todd's The Ducks of Destruction. The Ducks of Destruction, <laughs> just for the title, yeah. For do you know it's got no ducks there's, on it? No, but there's a flying bus. And do you know what? For a small press cover, it's not terrible. No, it's um, all right. It's it's got you know it's got that over Photoshop look to it. And you know, clearly, show me, show me, show me, it's it's not bad. The the model could be pretty, but uh, you're, you're sighing heavily. I'm I'm confused. Um, Sword of the Bright Lady is the uh, World of Prime book one by M. C. Planck. Uh, there's a guy in some bits of armor with 
some form of long I have a clue what's going on there. I don't know if it's fantasy, historical. I have no idea. I'm hoping it's fantasy. Uh, um, producer Val is, is doing the uh, Disco Inferno in the, the corner, so I think we're running out of time. Oh, uh, but yeah, Super Symmetry by David Walton, Pathfinder by Andrew Sage, City Stain Red. Yeah, I think I think what we've. What That's we've, very Game of Thronesy on the cover. Yeah, I was going to say, it's quite a sun, and Pathfinder looks quite cool. Um, the Magical World of Todd Hunter Moon. Big Again, two kids. Ninja. Yeah. Ninja, I think we're about to get 100 Oh, down, but, but that looks really good. Does it? Across the world, the real alternative. FabRadioInternational.com I've been your host at Fortune. And I've been your hostess as well, Nymphaes. The Bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab Radio International and Starburst magazine. Presented by Ed Fortune and Nympha Hayes. Produced by A.L. Johnson.